Hello Dirt Trackers and welcome to another episode of the Rugby Bits Podcast brought to you by bit.co.za. Thank you for listening wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and drop a five-star rating to share this podcast with the rugby world. Please also visit bit.co.za um, and make an account with them and see what uh, markets that they have for all the rugby tournaments happening right now. And please tell them that we sent you to. My name is Tyler, and today I'm joined by Jared for an episode where we're going to look back at the URC um, week five in May, and then later in the week we'll have another episode where we'll go through some of the action from the Women's Rugby World Cup this um, past weekend. But as we always do, we start with our first phase, and we have a, an exciting announcement for our first phases. Um, from now, we'll, we're um, combining with BetBotCO.za for a, a competition for our first phases, and if um, we choose some submissions that are given to us by our, our loyal dirt trackers, our followers of the show on Twitter, and as they answer the first phase question, and the best submissions will get a 300 rand betting voucher um, from bet.co.za so that they can use that and bet on anything. And maybe they can use some of the good or bad advice that we give on the show. So please, if you want to get um, some free money to bet on on the weekends, right? Be, Participate in the first phase um, questions every week, and your and you'll be handsomely rewarded in this case as well. So uh, there's a few of you that have already been contacted. You can go look at your DMs, and yeah, we will contact you as to the um, free um, betting part of the curiosity. So we will be doing that from now on with our first phase. And in this week's first phase was quite a simple one, which is the one player past or present that you'd like to have a beer with, and there are some. Amazing submissions. Um, but Jan, let me start with you. What, what who's, who's the one player you want to have to deal with? Yeah, so when when I threw out uh, this one, I, I must say, how's it, Tyler? How are you doing, man? <laughs> how's it to the dirt trackers as well? It's been but, a uh, while, actually. I think yeah. we've been together on a pod. Yeah, we've just, yeah, no cheating and timings and all that sort of stuff. We've kind of, this combination has missed each other. No, we have, man. And uh, I think it's quite nice that uh, the two of us just to, get to go a bit mad on this one so yeah i, th- <laughs> I, like I think again with the like the alton yankees and andre pollard 10 12 combo that we were talking about in the late 20s yeah. that we wanted <laughs> exactly and eventually we do get to shine a bit eh? it's uh we'll, it feels like george ford uh own feral getting back together <laughs> yes okay i'll, I'll be feral <laughs> i want to be ford but uh so you can take fares <laughs> Yes, perfect. Okay, so who's your player you want to share the with? So um, this this was a tricky one, and I threw it out there, and I made sure I put one in so that uh, people didn't cop out like I was going to myself because uh, my all-time two favorite players are probably Butch James and um, Bucky Sporter with uh, Marcel Katsia quickly coming up the, the ranks. But uh, so, yeah, I've, I've sort of decided that I would go with Butch James. Um, ex uh, Sharks fly half. He hits like a back rower, and uh, from all accounts, he is uh, amazing on the drink. So yeah. he's got party tricks. He's got stories. He's a 2007 <laughs> World Cup winner. I, I, to me, that sounds great. Like I, it says A beer in the question, but I can guarantee you, it's not going to be A beer with Butch James. It's going to be at least a six pack. No, I, I think with Butch, I mean, they, he's, I think, part of that little um, friend group with Jean de Villiers and Scott Berger as well. And 
from what yeah. I've seen and heard from their stories, they, they seem to get to a lot of mischief, uh, three of them. Exactly, exactly. And and tell us, uh, let's get uh, let's get yours out the way before we dive into the the viewers. What was what's yours? Yeah, I think I'm yeah I'm within that group, and which is Skulk Burger. I think he's I, I, actually I think with Skulk number one, it's kind of like you said. I think it's someone that obviously can can hold this drink. Number two, great storyteller. I think if you've had a chance to listen to Skulk on a podcast or you know every um, second weekend or so on super sport like he's a great he's a great rugby analyst and like he has also a lot of stories and experience and yeah i and from what i've heard about skulk he can also you know as the night goes on you know you're going into your the, the fourth or fifth like um, glass of wine he does get a bit you know deep and philosophical as well from what i've heard so i do like uh, that sort of vibe so a bit of you know, right there at the start, but then you are talking about life's like deep questions as well. I think that would be a lot of fun. But if you want him to turn up and to get fun as well, he's also able to do that. So I think he's versatile enough, like he was for the Springboks for many years, that he can play a yeah. position for a lifetime. So I think he's a he's a good choice. I didn't say this, but I think another one is George Gregan because. I've heard a lot of stories mm. about how crazy he gets on the night out. And he seems to be someone that can socialize with not only Australians, but South Africans and English people and Japanese people and just people from all over the world. So he's definitely a good story, a person with a good story too. Yeah, I didn't even uh, think about uh, another international, like somebody not from South Africa that I'd want to uh, grab a beer with. But uh, I think... I'll cheat a little bit and I'd say probably someone like Brad Barrett, um, some of the stories mm. he has from the Sharks with Saracens. Uh, I think that would be a pretty decent one as well um, if we look abroad. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it does sound like a bad, you know, if you want to change up the drink, you can also get some coffee from him as well, um, from his uh, Tiki Tonga coffee shop as well. So yes, you and yeah, Sean are really pushing for for a uh, sponsorship from them as well. Hey, <laughs> look, shout out to Brad Barrett if he's listening to the podcast by any chance. You have your first, um, the first place you want to have a sponsorship is right here, and we will yeah. definitely be the biggest fans of the Tiki Tonka business over here. I think you and Sean will just want a product. You won't even want any cash for it. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably more than fine. Yeah, I just feel I feel bummed that I didn't actually go and um, buy some coffee when I was at the at the at the uh, stadium. At the stadium at, Saras at Saracens because could have actually supported it from there. But yeah, Sean and I, um, I think when when we meet up in a few in a week or so, we're gonna definitely do that Tiki Tonga. So that will that will be our meeting place. Um, some submissions from um from our dirt trackers. Um, we have um. Martin Prinsler, who yeah, was, was, a, was a loyal dirt tracker of ours, he, he was talking about having a bri with Brian Majati. And I think he also goes into that um, angle of people that you can talk about rugby and just things like like general life stuff as well. And yeah, I think we all, a lot of us were aware of like the YouTube channel that Brian Majati had where he's talking about like mm. his life experiences as well. And like obviously some deep stuff and some like crazy stuff that happened in his life, but also just a very honest guy. So you'll, you'll get, you'll definitely hear what he's, what he's thinking about at any time. Yeah. I'm bummed Sean isn't on this one because he would be right on the Brian Majority chat. So yeah, I, I think that's a great call as well. 
And uh, Tala, I don't know, do, uh, do you have the tweet open on your phone or anything right now? Because yeah. I, I did, I did hide a little message in uh, the the actual tweet, and I wondered if you picked it up because nobody else seemed to pick it up on Twitter. No, tell us about it. Okay, so there's that little alt text uh, thing in the left hand corner. If uh, you want to mm -hmm. click on that and read it out for us. <laughs> So it's an image, so to describe the image, um, it's the famous image of um, Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell sharing a beer after the Heineken Champions Cup, I think it was two years ago, and the two teams faced each other, Rassing and Exeter, and the image description says, Stuart Hogg has a beer with a fan, and yeah, Jared <laughs> has, I think he sees, this is his resignation letter from the podcast um, stage, but I'm sure no, he has no. something to say about that later this week. Yeah, you see, it was a little shot at Cooks, and uh, the disappointing thing is that he, he didn't pick up on it, so he's not out yet to, to rave about it. <laughs> no, I think I'll definitely let him know on the WhatsApp group as soon as possible. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Jared, you, you, need to watch, you need to watch yourself here. Um, I think there's a, there's, there's a disciplinary committee for things like this. <laughs> no, come on. Um, Finn Russell is always fair game. We know this, especially when Cooks is not on the podcast. That is also fair. Yeah, I think just to um, go through some of the other submissions, um, we have Atikaka who was talking about having a beer with John Smith. I mean, Barney is also someone that's quite popular um, with, with fans, and he seems to also to have a good reputation from people about their interactions with them. Um, Francois Stein, um, Harley Worthy from Wales, says he wants to have a beer with Francois Stein, that he can also finish off what I can't handle. Um, I also, actually, quick anecdote, I was in, when I was still studying in Stellenbosch, I saw Francois Stein in one of the night um, clubs there, or bars there, and yeah, I mean, I think it was in between his, um, just before he left for, um, for France, and I think he was injured or he was not playing at the time. So he was definitely sort of getting into the beers. And yeah, like I was chugging through throughout the night. So I can definitely confirm, at least from my eyewitness account, that Francis Day can handle his drink. Um, his drink. I heard that uh, he pretty much drinks a beer, like a pint of beer in two sips. And that's genuinely yeah. how he drinks it. It's not him like going full out. That's how he does it. <laughs> It's just mad. <laughs> so that is, yeah, I think if, if you want to keep up with someone like that, that is always a scary thing. And then um, there's Carl Levin who talked about having a beer with James Small, obviously quite famous um, for his exploits um, out at night. Um, someone like Masenge Nelson talked about having a beer with Sia Kolesi and Gavin Etzebeth. Obviously, there's quite a few fans for Sia, um, including Shan um, Mo as well. Uh, Hugo Lieberberg talked about Johnny Wilkinson. Actually, I've never heard any stories about Johnny Wilkinson on a night out, so that might be interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jared, I was just about to ask you, like, I don't think, Jared, I mean, Johnny is someone that's been known as social. No, no, not at all. And I think uh, that could be an interesting thing if you could get a few beers into him and get some of those stories out of him, because I mm. don't think uh, he's shared too many of them might be quite a boring drinking session if he's not into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very much high risk, high reward. 
I think um, Rian Lowe's answer is probably one of the best. Um, Gabo's one of the best days. He was one of um, the Springbok rugby players from, I think, the late 70s, early 80s, known for his long blonde hair and the Leon Schuster song. And he has a little beach bar in Mauritius, if I understand correctly. So, yeah, yeah I think there'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, another interesting uh, one that I saw was um, Joe Fanikak, a bit mm. of a left field one, which is also an interesting answer uh, for those unaware. He's in Costa Rica, I think it is now, where he mm. lives like on a farm and him and his wife do like an alternative lifestyle and live off of the land and do yoga sessions and all crazy things like that. <laughs> yeah, Big Joe is definitely not the. Springbok eighth man that you that you that you maybe left him um, in the late two thousands and you know he's got like this like long hair, scraggly beard, like he's really gone very much into that alternate lifestyle now. Yeah, yeah. And another left field one is that uh, Kevin uh, put out Brock Harris in WP now. I'm saying it like the Scots mm. peer peer now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I don't know if you saw this week as well. Um, now joined Edinburgh's um, top 10 try scorers of all time, which is yes, mad or prop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not sure how, maybe it's still some of his cheetah's roots, but yeah, he, yeah, I think he's just someone that managed to be at the right place at the right time. I mean, he did get some of his rugby, um, like schooling from Oli LaRue, and he was always someone that could get a try. Yeah. Uh, there's a brilliant uh, try that he scored in his early days with them where he runs from yeah. like 40 meters out and dives uh, dives under the post. It's brilliant. If, uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure Andrew Ford has put it in one of his YouTube videos somewhere. Yeah, those best prop tries. Exactly. I think the last one, yeah, the last then um, submission is from um, the, the, the spring, spring, box, spring in box account. Um, and he he shares a gift of of, um, of the director of rugby for South Africa, Rusty Rasmussen, and he's chomping a pizza there in the Rugby World Cup. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for stories and candidness and like funny times, I think that will that will definitely be Rusty Rasmussen and Don's moves. So you can also go yeah. tonight on the tongue. Yeah, I think he's got quite a decent playlist. Uh, it would surprise you and. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually quite surprised at uh, how little Rassi was mentioned. Um, he, he's mm. very popular in South Africa and obviously not popular that popular outside of that. But I, I think that a lot of people would want to hear what he want to say. And I don't know, maybe I, I'm not giving our dirt trackers enough credit. Maybe they want a bit more. They didn't want to go with a popular opinion. <laughs> yeah, maybe or they missed the past or present thing. But yeah, I mean, I think if, if if you could get like an audience with Rassi Rasmus for the night, I think you'll learn a lot about Arabian life and maybe some of the espionage secrets that are behind the spring box at the moment. Yeah, I think you'll try to hold a lot to his chest, but uh, as you can see, he's, <laughs> he's quite big on his Brunavain and beer, so I think you'll get him to loosen up. Jeez, I, I, just, I just can't imagine the dance moves that you'll be seeing from Rassi as well. I mean, yeah, I can, I can, Im yeah, I can imagine the hangover though after with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be very dangerous. 
yeah, I think we can move on now from our uh, from our first phase. And as we said, watch out for our first phase. It comes out at the latest on the on Sunday or Monday morning. We'll, we'll promote it again. And yeah, the best responses will receive a free 100 grand voucher from Bet.co.za. They are wonderful sponsors. And you can get on and start betting on some of the rugby that's happening, including the United Rugby Championship. So we've had now week five of the of the URC, and actually this is probably the worst week if you're talking about it from a South African perspective, uh, with only one win um, this weekend. But yeah, good in terms of just there was a lot of great matches and a lot of surprises in the storm. Just to run through the results quickly, Leinster won away at Connacht, uh, ten points to nil in the rain. Ospreys and Stormers drew sixteen all um, in Wales. Then on the Saturday. You know, a big contrast to the conditions in Wales was the, the baking heat in the afternoon in the high felt, where the Lions and Ulster played, and Ulster managed to hold on 39 points to 37. The Sharks um, were able to run away from Glasgow, 40 points to 12. Um, the Dragons lost to Cardiff, um, Cardiff winning at home, 31 points to 14. Edinburgh put up 53 points to 8 against Benetton. Um, Scarlets. 136 points to 12 against Zebra. And then the last match of the weekend was Munster beating the Bulls 31 points to 17. So I think we will let's start with um, the first match um, from a second perspective, which was the Stormers Ospreys match, where um, we drew 16 points to 16. And Jared, I think the first thing to, to maybe discuss before we go into you know, how the game ended and, and, and maybe more detail about Money in the Box is. Just how do you think the Stormers played in the rain? Because obviously now we're in a European um, competition. This will be something that we'll encounter now for the next few months. Yeah, I, I think the Stormers did relatively well. I think uh, their starting front row struggled somewhat. Um, and yeah, they were facing a full Welsh front row. So I think that's where they sort of struggled. Um I thought Marvin Ori and Murat, Salman Murat, had really, really great games. And, uh, yeah, they were also going up against Adam Beard and Alan Jones, British and Irish Lions. So I think there was a lot of positives um, that can come from the Stormers. They did make a few changes. Um, but I, I think uh, they would want to improve on that scrummaging performance um, from their pack. And their line-out struggles, obviously. Do you think it's more just because you know, they're playing for Mark and Fenton for Sheer? That's obviously not their first choice um, front row. I think that does play into it. It did improve um, when you throw Stephen Kitchoff and uh, Brock Harris on, but Kitchoff will always make a, bit, a big difference. I think Dweber really needs to work on his line out throwing. It's becoming a bit of an issue in his mm-hmm. game. And it's something as a hooker you want to sort out as, as soon as possible. Um, but saying that, uh, Osprey's had the, the same problem with uh, Dowie Lake at uh, hooker, and they found a way around it and were able to to manufacture some success from there. So there, there is a way around it. I think the Stormers just need work work through it and sort it out. But yeah, like I say, it's uh, difficult to come up against um, Adam Beard and Alwyn Jones and they really mm-hmm. put the Stormers more under pressure. And I, yeah, it was, I think it was a really great performance from Marnie LeBorque because 
it's difficult mm-hmm. as a fly half to play when you're not on the front foot and then throwing in those conditions which were horrendous and still being able to to actually have a positive impact on the game is is a hell of a thing. Yeah, I think let's start with his 50-meter, sorry, 56-meter penalty kick that he slotted. Um, you know, when yeah. I was watching the highlights of this game, you just, <laughs> I didn't know that Slimok, you know, had that much range in him. I thought, you know, we could maybe yeah. get 50 at the high belt, but not, you know, in the driving rain at Ospreys. And yeah, he he had he slotted that and he added uh, one or two meters on it as well. So he that was a brilliant kick from him. And uh, the Premier Sports commentators were just as stunned as uh, I was watching it. And I'm in the same boat as you. I didn't know he had that much distance in him, um, especially in, like, like I, I, we keep, I keep coming back to the conditions, but they were that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. the kind of conditions that, like, if you needed to go to the shop or something like that, even if it was just saying desperate, you would say, do I really have to? Like, oh, I can live without whatever I need. <laughs> if you need a milk, there's, I'm sure I can live without milk. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he, he, he slotted that quite comfortably. Like he hits it, turned around, and he was pretty confident that he had got it, which, yeah, I think he really put a, it, it was another statement performance from him. And it was mm-hmm. his kicking out of hand. He had a really nice um, 50-22 as well. So here, I think week on week, he's looking stronger and stronger and starting to look more like a international fly half. And I think it's just got a perfect timing if he carries on like the way he's going. Yeah, I think that's probably the next part of the conversation to have there is, you know, this is the sort of match that you want to stand up in. And I mean, not to draw too many parallels, but I mean, we remember the match that Francois Stein had um, in 2006 um, in the rain for, for the Sharks in Curry Cup. And just his ability to control the game with his boots and, you know, his running and his decision making. I think that's when a lot of people saw that, okay, we have someone of quality here. And Lamar being able to do that, you know, sports aren't necessarily giving him front foot ball. It's not like he had, you know, a, a mm. red carpet. Uh, to the ball all the time like that's that's that that shows a lot of like temperament and the sort of temper like temperament that you need in test matches and you know if his kicking game is going well and you, we know how good he is with, with ball in hand and creating for for players around him you know if all of those things are coming together i mean you know those those calls um you know from from certain from certain fans about money about being the springbok squad i mean jan i think they're becoming very hard to ignore now they are, they are, and I've been one of the people that's been very apprehensive about uh, speaking about Lebok in the Springbok setup because yeah. I, I still have that Lebok of the Bulls and uh, Sharks in my mind where he's um, shrunk in games where he really shouldn't have and doesn't take control of the game. And it was a different story for me against the Ospreys because he took the game by, by its throat and he tried to win it for his side and going for a drop goal he, he missed it in the end but the balls to uh, take that option and take that snap judgment um, to try and win the game for his side it, it's something that you want to see in your fluff you want to see him try and win it and take it on his shoulders when he feels like he's got the ability to do it and his entire game to that point was so good that 
that one error, you, it, it, it's, it's the thing that everyone's focusing on. But if he had nailed that, it would be a completely different story this week. He would be spoken about in a completely different light, which is fair enough. And that's how professionals are. You live in Daba, your successes and failures. But I think it was a more successful game for Libok than it was a failure game. Um, the one try that the Stormers did score was uh, from from him doing an old school scissors with uh, mm. Leon Zas and sending Portovet through. I mean, it's it's horrid conditions. Sometimes that old school stuff just it just works. Like you, when last did you see a scissors actually lead to a line break in <laughs> a professional rugby game? I, I and just to throw it out there and have it work is. Yeah, what mixing it up and throwing something completely surprising to to the opposition. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I was about to say that the only other team, and we're going to talk about this more later this week uh, with the Women's Rugby World Cup, the only team that I see is more committed to the scissors is England's, um, the, the England um, women's backline. Because between their 10 and Emily um, Scarrett, their number 13, they always run the scissors line for like, in most of their phases. Works pretty well if you have like one of the best outside centers in the world, of course. But yeah, yeah I, I saw that and I was like, this is such a good sort of throwback. But then with Libox try, like you said, there was there's that you know, you went back to that and was able to create um, space for us and then he, he went through and then you know, obviously got it to pull the bet. So it was just his ability to do that, you know, you, you we know how good he is with his attack. And I've also been someone that's been a bit of a doubt about Lebox stepping into the international stand, but a performance like this and his, you know, his decision making and his his ability with, with you know kicking the ball and you know all the questions that we've had before, which is usually his kicking, his consistency with place kicking and his decision making. He answered ninety nine point nine percent of those questions. And even exactly. with the um, yeah, Jared, with the with the drop goal attempt, um, I know there's been a bit of debate about that, but I think this um kind of the scene a little bit. So. It was it wasn't from the post, which you know, they, you know, you you maybe would want it to, to to slot, but as we've discussed, the the conditions were terrible. But the other thing to note, and I think Sean made made mention of it on Twitter, was it was also the right the timing of it was good because he did it with a few seconds left, so that if there was a miss, there was an opportunity to go on um, for the Stormers again to try and win the game. So I think in terms of match situation and um, you know, getting the the position. I think he executed those things right. It was just being the yeah. He was probably a few meters off um, actually hitting the mark. Mm. And, you know, obviously, you have to penalize that. But I think the intentions were right. It was the right decision to make. What do you think? Uh, I agree with that, and I think Sean's spot on. Um, yeah, he he did take it with the option of well, with the knowledge of knowing that uh, they would get the ball back and they could manufacture another opportunity and uh that's that's game management 101 and it was mm -hmm. brilliant from the book I, I i do think we being a bit unfair to the ospreys i think um they had mm -hmm. a very good game i think they yeah i mentioned earlier their top five were fantastic um they really put the stormers under pressure there but so was reese webb and uh, reese webb and uh Steven Mahler really kicked well the entire game and it was a great battle to watch um, 
Marnie LeBorg take on those two with the kicking battle and fighting for that uh, territory and possession. Um, I was also quite impressed by Max, uh, I think it's Nagy or Nagy. I'm not too sure how to say it, but yeah, a little bit of like a Welsh uh, Freddie Stewart there. He was excellent on the high ball, a big lanky fullback. Um, I I think he's, he's one to watch out for. Yeah, I was about to say, we'll probably get arrested by a squid rugby if we don't mention Stephen Myler and how good he was um, on Friday. No, he was excellent. Yeah, he's a man of the match of the game. And yeah, his just, yeah, you can just see all the experience and his ability um, coming out there in that game. If I'm not mistaken, he was helping out the Welsh women's team with their kicking um, before the World Cup. So I'm not sure how we got. Um, was that not, um, was, that not was that not Lee Halfpenny? Is it Lee Halfpenny that was doing that? Yeah, I think it was Lee Halfpenny. Okay, that makes a ton more sense. Yeah, because Halfpenny was injured, but uh, it could well have been Marlis. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, you you can see that, I mean, that's a good um, standard for the book to measure himself against, that he was able to go pound for pound with, you know, a really experienced and really classy um, flat off at this level. And, you know, he had, you know, the, the platform from his forwards mostly and you know, he had an experience pack in front of him and he obviously knows the conditions. And for the ball to match up against Milo, that's that's a that's a good uh, that's credit to him. And yeah, I think Osprey is hopefully this all and you know, I think the South Africans have been quite generous this weekend in giving some teams some confidence. But I think Ospreys, you know, you look at their record there, you know, in the bottom half of the table and they're I think the second placed Welsh team at the moment with only eleven points mm. and only a win. And two draws, um, funny enough, um, in the, their first five games. But yeah, there's no reason why they can't kick on from this. Like we, you talked about earlier, they have you know Welsh internationals all over their team, especially in their tight five. They've got a very strong tight five, and they've got Jack Morgan, who's just an absolute insane player. In their loose trio, their backline has a lot of dangerous um, players in it as well. So mm. yeah, if, if, if they should be able to have, to take some confidence with the first team to take points off the the, the URC champions and go on from there. No, exactly. Exactly. And uh, Tyler, yeah. I, I, I don't think we need to touch too much on the, the Leinster game with uh, Connock just uh, basing the scoreline mm-hmm. and, and the weather there. But uh, I, I do want to shout out uh, Josh van der Fleer um, had an amazing carry and offload for one of uh, for Leinster's trial. And uh, <laughs> Somebody on Twitter went, um, I'm going to, he said, Lekker Josh, Vaistai Mano, who want to spill trops up you. And somebody replied, it was on the URC official account. Like, I'm loving that. Joburg's finest really making waves there. Yeah, this. I think Josh is really just showing off like the, the talent and the depth of talent that we have in South Africa. And I was going to mention later, but also, Jared, I don't know how well you're, um, if you're aware, like England just also picked a South African in their squad, um, Jack Van Poorfleet. And, you know, Van oh, Poorfleet and the Van Flears, you know, they, I think they have adjoining like farms um, up north in Gauteng. So I think it's, yeah, it's quite great that we can just claim to have, you know, we own, it's not even a claim now. We have the most talent and they're exporting the most talent to the, the world rugby at the moment. No, exactly that. Exactly that, Salah. It's one of South Africa's best imports. 
um, is rugby mm-hmm. players exports. I mean, sorry, exports. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Josh able to 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 um, carry that flag for us. But yeah, great game. Just looking at his numbers, like made the second most tackles, made the second most meters, and yeah, he's definitely basing the manner um, overseas um, uh, for Leeds today. Yeah, his carrying has really improved over the last while. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was wanting us to not say that. <laughs> we wouldn't fall into that trap, but you must, we're contra- contractually obliged to mention that Josh Mandefi has been working on his carrying for the last few years. Exactly, exactly that. <laughs> I think let's turn to more sunnier conditions. Yeah, you can see the contrast in the URC that you can play in like driving rain or you can play the heat at one o'clock in Germany. So the Lions and also had an absolutely entertaining match um, between uh, between each other with 10 tries scored between them and they are just meters upon meters uh, being run by by both sides and yeah this match is quite a seesaw battle um, between the Lions and, and Ulster you know there was a point where Lions were leading by eight points and then Ulster had an 18 point lead and the Lions came back and were and you know that game went another five minutes Jared I think the, the Lions would probably have stolen it but I think just to start with the positives for the Lions, you know, this was actually my first time I could actually watch them in detail and, you know, be able to, to watch uh, a whole game from them. And I think the thing that impresses me the most um, about the Lions at the moment is just they, they, they know their structures, both in attack and in defense, and they're quite a well-disciplined team. It's not just a team of like, you know, it's what it seemed like last year, maybe at the start of last season was, you know, we throw the ball to like our talented players like Similani or Fanamava and just hope for magic. Now it's more about the team breaking down the opposition um, in attack or trusting their structures in defense and being able to, to shut things down. So they are looking like a really good team at the moment. Yeah, uh, I think uh, you're spot on with that. And uh, you can see it with the players as well, is that they're playing with a lot more... Um, uh, I don't want to say freedom because it's too much of a cliche, but they're playing like mm-hmm. with so much joy. They're playing as a team, but also um, they've sort of like grown um, as individuals and like they've been allowed to express themselves. Like uh, Nahamba, every time there's a penalty that he's won or um, something silly that the opposition does, he's screaming in their ears, he's getting in their faces. Mm-hmm. Um, Tashuka is also he's he's pumped up with everything. Um, so I I think that's really good to see with the Lions. Besides the uh, good results, is the way they enjoy in their matches. And I I do feel sorry for them because I think uh, there was a water break about ten minutes before the game was ending, and uh, it's the match was sort of swinging in there. Um, the momentum of the the match was well with them. And that's sort of where Ulster took the game away from them. And I, I, I do feel sorry for them about that. Um, I, I think it was quite a big dis, uh, deciding factor in that match. Yeah, actually, and I think also another deciding point was the Lions, when they scored, I think when they made the, the, the game 18-10, like 30th minute, they were putting the Ulster team under pressure, you know, the rolling balls and like, I think... It, it was one of those that if the Lions didn't score from that um, ensuing wall, that there'd probably be a yellow card show. And then mm. a few minutes later, Ulster's putting the Lions under pressure, then um, Hinker van Beek uh, catches the yellow card, and that's when Ulster was able to score the majority of the points um, that they scored early in the second half. 
And yeah, yeah I think it was just one of those where, not necessarily like at the fault of the referee, it was just one of those where the warning just came at the right time for Alston, the wrong time for the Lions. And Alston was able, you know, being the great experienced side that they are, they took full advantage of, of the playing against 14 men and they were able to build up that lead. And yeah, just you and I think they 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 realized that they needed every single point of that lead in order to stretch things out. But yeah, I think the, the other turning point about the water breaks is also true because yeah, I think they're trying now to do the water breaks in like when there's injuries on the field or after mm. a try, so it's a bit more natural. But yeah, because it's under the ref's discretion, it can fall at a place where you know a team has a bit of momentum. So yeah, I'm not sure how they work. I mean, yeah, this is a, probably a stupid rule in the first place. But yeah, I don't know how they work it so that, you know, a, a team isn't disadvantaged by, you know, uh, an opportune break happening at the wrong time. Yeah, well, you do also have to question whether you need a water break when there's 10 tries scored. Um, like mm-hmm. every time a try scored, you're able to get water. So I don't know if you really yeah. need the the set water breaks if you got 10 tries. But yeah, I think you called Ulster winning the URC early on. Um, and yeah. Um, for a championship, uh, championship side, um, you win these close games. So I think that's sort of buffering up your your claim over there. Um, so I was also yeah. very impressed with Dwayne Vermeulen. Man, that guy had a good game. And it's I good wanted, to see him yeah. playing like that. I wanted to say that I think the four or five South African lose forwards that we saw, including the four from the Lions, like, they could all hold their heads high. They played really mm. amazing. Starting with Dwayne, that first 20 minutes, I don't know what, Dwayne, what got into Dwayne or if it was just something that the Ulster coaches identified as maybe the Lions aren't too quick at clearing out, but they targeted those racks and they were able yeah. to get, um, he was able to get the turnovers there, so he got three of those. And then it was quite good to see in the second half when they were holding onto the lead I think also just to conserve their energy, they started spreading out in defense more and mm. trying to cover the field. And they were a bit more judicious with that. And Dwayne was just, yeah, playing like, you know, the, the, the Dwayne from him that we all know and love. Like, he was able to make the big turnovers. Um, he made some big, um, made a few big carries there. Yeah, I could see there's some... And he assisted a try. <laughs> yes, and he assisted a try there as well. Um, but <laughs> the one point that was really hilarious was when um, the, the, I think it was a turnover from the Lions in the 22 and then the ball got out wide to Fadamava and he was the last defender on that side and Dwayne, you can just see the panic in his face just being like, this is literally the last position I want to be in at this moment <laughs> so he's already pointing to I think Michael Lowry at the back just being like, look, please come and cover for me mm-hmm. because I won't be able to chase down and he, he did pretty well to keep up with um, um, able for the moment just to make sure that he doesn't break away but yeah I think Dwayne is going to try not to be in those sorts of situations anymore so luckily he does have to play in the high felt uh, too many uh, times um, in the next few months. Uh, the one thing I will say about Dwayne is that he's he's doing a lot of walking on the pitch which I, I don't think he like you need to understand that from an older player so I sort of think about it like uh, in with Pirlo uh, in his um, later days like he didn't run a mm. lot on the pitch but he just sat back and he uh, the place that he was involved in was big quality so mm-hmm. I think Dwayne's looking at big quality moments and targeting those moments and not uh, yeah. 
not going full out Dwayne Vermeulen from the Stormers days or Cheetahs days kind of thing. When he realized that it is a different Dwayne, doesn't mean it's a bad Dwayne. It just means that he is going to do five big things a game. He's not going to do 10 average things a game. Yeah, 100% that. I think he's trying to make sure that he has quality in his contributions to the game and not just a big quantity of like, you know, 100 meter running meters and 23 tackles and eight turnovers. Like mm. He's trying to make sure that he makes the big plays when they, when they count. And I even asked on Twitter maybe his role should be like the functional low role uh, from the 2019 mm. Rugby World Cup free box. That you can, if you bring on someone like Dwayne Vermeer in the last 20 minutes of any sort of game, whether you're behind or whether you're defending a lead, <laughs> that's a fantastic player to bring on in that sort of situation. So that was a great game from, from Dwayne. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%. I was just going to say on quickly on the uh, the three lines, Lucy's. I don't think there's a a, a harder-hitting loose chair in the world than Chituka, um, Bent, and Horn. Those people absolutely just crush people in, in contact. Mm. Uh, Emmanuel Chituka, I don't know how many um, defend or what says five defenders beaten here, but the amount of times he got the ball and just ran over a poor backhand player, like, John Cooney and Fred and uh, Billy Burns were just absolutely tired of him running in their channel. We all know about Ron Fenter by now. I don't know what this poor kid, what he's gone through in his life, but he just wants to <laughs> crush any international rugby in the world. And, he, he, you know, I'm a big... Yeah, go on, Jerry. Maybe Fenter's got that uh, Michael Jordan <laughs> attitude of uh, he makes something up, that, um, like yeah. Warwick Alonso at the moment. Everyone's done him <laughs> wrong. <laughs> No, I think so because I, I just I, I genuinely want to know like what and why and like how he's so brave, just like absolutely like bouncing a a wallaby lock that has like sixty or eighty cap, test caps. Like you don't just do that. You don't just walk into rugby. You're not even twenty years old yet, and you're just doing these sorts of things. Like yeah, someone needs to talk to him because this is just an absolutely disrespectful like streak that he has here. He is freakishly big, eh, as well. <laughs> yeah. So, um, um, Arjun Slavik was, I mean, on Twitter, um, he was saying that his father's over two meters tall. So, he could also possibly grow. I mean, he's not necessarily finished growing yet, and he's already one, I think, one nine six. So, okay. just imagine if he's, he's still technically going to fill out. Mm, mm. And, I oh, mean, he, he, he looks like a big boy, but, like, he's not, uh, like massive around his shoulders and arms and that kind of thing like he's could be bigger that is just a, a big person and then just quickly i think a player that you've been um, a fan of for a while is frankie horn um yeah yeah i i was a bit slow on the uptake but you know, he has a lot of quality and i think just the support lines i think that's the one thing that i i've seen from him that he's if there's a line break he's usually the player that's there to take an offload like he did from ron dreyer which is a brilliant offload by the way or he's the one that's able to finish the move. And, you know, yeah. he reminds, I think he easily reminds you of another scrum capped um, eighth man for the, for the Lions, Warren Whiteley. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. He also captained the Lions against the British and Irish Lions. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I'm a big fan. Um, I think the half train, the Frankie Horn half train, is going to get very uh, crowded very soon. Yeah, almost as crowds the Anchor Fund Lake hype train. Like, yeah, yeah. What a quality player he is as well. Um, let's move quickly to the Sharks versus um, Glasgow game. And yeah, I think 
this was, you know, I think the affordable Sharks fans, and obviously Jared being one of them, this was definitely the game where you start salivating at the prospect of, you know, what could happen if you bring all these talents all together. And yeah, a big debut from Evan Etzebeth, um, putting in a man of the match performance. Um, but yeah, I think, Jared, you were saying when we were discussing the game before that, you know, because it was quite a slow first half in comparison, and the Sharks were behind Glasgow at some stage, I think 12 points to 10 early in the second half. But you don't think they played that badly in the first half, and you were just thinking there's a bit more execution once the Springboks came on in the second half. Yeah, I, I think uh, the Sharks were just a bit more lethal and a bit more um, sharp once the Hawks did come on. I think they timed their arrival quite well in the match and in the round that they brought them back, um, made sure that they were got a good rest in and were fit and firing to go. Bongo and Bonambi looked incredible, so did Ox. Um, and adding Carlo Sadi to the mix with them is just ridiculous. Mm. Um, Sia was back to his old business, like just monstering mm. Oaks in tackles. Um, nobody could really bring him down um, without him getting at least two leg drives in. So he was he was great to see. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think um, like a, a lot of things happening with the Sharks is that it's it's the timing's just not on, and there's a few little mistakes, and they get punished for it. Um, like. I, I, I saw it with Apalele Fasi. There's a few times where he's running as a support, um, he's a support option, but he's he's too flat on occasion. Or mm. like the, uh, Renio Hiku, when he got the ball from uh, Sia Kalisi after Fasi's uh, chip over the top, Fasi was far too flat. And to try to get a second rower to throw a flat pass like that, running at pace, it's <laughs> it's not a... It's not that easy. <laughs> it's really not that easy. I think Achia Snaven would probably get a drop, but not too many second rowers would. Yeah, I think timing is a, is a big thing, and that is expected because it's a mm. team of new combinations. And I mean, oh, yeah, they won't necessarily get time now, but hopefully after the, um, the November test, once the, the whole team can come together and play some games together, there will be some combinations that start falling now. No, hundred percent, and uh, I I think with the with the sharks, and I think it's a good segue into going to the Munster Bulls game. Is that this weekend we sort of saw how um, important your tight five is to to winning matches. Um, we touched on it with the Stormers that their starting tight five wasn't too great, but this uh, got better throughout the game. Um, the Lions type five was very good, I thought, uh, except when it came to the lineouts, which seems to be the same yeah. issue the Stormers are having. Um, but the Sharks type five, the starting one and the finishing one were fantastic. And mm. it was a completely different story for the Bulls. Yeah, I think with the just last thing on the Sharks one is I think obviously the quality is there and it helps a lot that you have, you know, probably one of the best players in the world right now, even it's a bit in the middle of that tight five. But mm. yeah, it's not only him, but obviously Thomas Tutoy has been probably one of the best um, players in the URC in the last season and a quarter. Yeah. He's been just constantly just putting in performances and you have Oxen Chair coming in now into the team. So you have all the raw talent and the quality. And if there's one place where the Sharks are fine, it's the tight five. Other places, they still need to figure out some combinations and, you know, figure out what they're trying to do. But 
the TIE fighters is, is fine there. I think with the Bulls, and uh, the they now, picked up a nice uh, signing with uh, Francois Fencer uh, ooh, joining yes. from from the Whistle Warriors. I think it's such a great signing. Uh, he, he offers a lot of what Ben Tapuai does as at twelve, mm -hmm. and a lot of what uh, Lucanio Arm does as as a defensive thirteen. And yeah. yeah, he's unlikely to get picked up by the Bulls, but uh, when mm -hmm. uh, when we do need him to fill in for Lucanio and Co, he's he's going to be fantastic. You know, I, you can't really ask for a better signing than that. Um, mm. For the Sharks, for, for like someone to act as the Lucania replacement. And yeah, I think the the Tapuai um, uh, Ranians for Rensburg combination wasn't quite uh, working no, together it in the last few games. So I would prefer either Ron and, and Penta or Penta and Tapuai. I think those two can work a lot better. And he's a sort of center kind. In a way, like a boosted up version of Jeremy Ward, like he's able to play yeah, off fair enough. any type of center. So I think and he's, he's got the leadership as well in, yeah. in that sense. So I think yeah, that is a brilliant signing from Penta. I mean, from from the Sharks to get Francois Penta. Just to turn our attentions to um, Galway and and the performance of the Bulls against uh, Munster. Uh, yeah, as as Jared mentioned, I think the tight five. There's there's a lot that was that was missing from the type five from the from the from the Bulls and I think they just got out muscled from by Munster, um, some I think to to simply put it, and it's not that. And I think a part of it is a lack of ability because I think our front row ranks for the Bulls, the front row ranks for the Bulls aren't the best at the moment, especially with Jan Krublar missing. So there's something that there's definitely a lot of like that physicality. That um, Krogler brings that um, that Vessels doesn't quite bring at the moment, and Vessels wasn't really as accurate, um, I think, in his actions than Krogler would be. The Bulls have had their issues at prop, I think, especially since Trevor Nyakani left. Sabir Matanzim was a great young um, talent, but yeah, just wasn't necessarily at the races. Monray Smith gave away quite a cheap yellow card. And then, yeah, I think, yeah, it wasn't the best run on here game. And, you know, I'm a big fan of it. Which is surprising. Yeah. I, I guess he's due one because he's mm, been mm. absolutely fantastic um, in the last season. But, but, yeah, he just wasn't really making that impact. He only started getting to the game late in the half. But if you compare it to Munster, I think from Lauman the, um, and um, the, 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 the Lucid prop and all the way to um, Edogbo, the 19-year-old the, the, the um, lock mm. that made the first start for Munster, they were just committed and getting into every scrap. And it wasn't that, it's not necessarily a difference in numbers of numbers of tackles made or meters gained or whatever. It was just that when they went into Iraq, when they made a tackle, they made a tackle. And that was just something that was missing from the Bulls and the tight five. But the loose forwards for the Bulls, in saying that, they had a great game in terms of just they're making their impacts known and they're making they're making their hits uh, people like Marcel Gutierrez and Albert Lowe. But yeah, Jared, I think the Bulls are sort of, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same as last season where they did have a few losses on tour. And I don't know if it's just Jake White also trying to experiment things and trying to find what the right combinations are and we haven't necessarily replaced some of the players that we've lost or are injured, but it's just not working for them and they didn't really put up much of a fight against Munster. Yeah, um, I, I, I think we um, must talk about Munster and how 
brutal and brilliant they actually were. They selected a bigger pack than they have been mm. able to select um, through to to now, and um, they they really fired. Like having a um, Jan Hendrik Vessels throwing at the line out and having Tag Burn, um, Peter Armani, uh, Jean Klein, and Dogbu um, contesting is a perfect storm <laughs> for the. It's it's. It, it's it's never going to end well. So I, I think they did well with that. And Roundtree would have known that. He's a experienced mm-hmm. forwards coach, um, having done it with the British and Irish Lions in Georgia and England. So I, I think they did well to outsmart the Bulls. I think the yeah, the, I, th- I think it was really poor from the Bulls on defence that uh, you had um, your back rowers in in that first pillar position on your own trial line, mm-hmm. and Gavin oh, Coombs nice. is is going to eat that up. He is definitely going to take that. You need a big, a big fatty driving those guys back, and they were nowhere to be seen. You need Matanzima and you need uh, Smith around those those fringes to drive the big boys back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think there's um, a lot of people spoke about the Bulls' backline. I don't think the backline really mattered. Um, it was the kind of game where it was won and lost up front, and Munster won it up front, and I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think. Uh, any backline would have been able to change that for the Bulls. Yeah, I think with with um, with the battle up front, I think Munster maybe have something going now. They can play mm. Tugburn at six and Peter Marnie at seven. It's a much bigger pack, and I think it just goes to sort of those Munster roots of just out-muscling everyone. So they did really well there. And yeah, I mean, traditionally you'd expect the Bulls pack to be big and strong and mean, but yeah, I think especially with you know, if they don't have someone like Problar there, and even before that, um, because of the lack of props, it is a pack that is the type five, especially that isn't necessarily the, the biggest quality type five. So there'll be a lot of growing that the type five needs to do. And yeah, someone like Rod Mokia, who yeah, to just drop in the standards a little bit this week, he'll have to lead that um, charge um, in future games. Um, a big shout out also, I think, when talking about performances to Embrace Papier, I think he had probably one of the best games I've seen from the number nine behind the uh, retreating pack. He was just able to keep things going. And then um, from the Munster side, Joey Carberry, I think we've, I think um, Andy Farrell needs to give a gift to to Jake White and the Bulls because we've just played him straight into some great form um, just before yeah. the November 10th. And he looked really good um, driving the, the game plan. And it seemed like Munster, maybe that's a good thing for the Sharks as well to tie up that conversation. Munster is starting to get those things going that they were struggling with in the first few weeks um, with um, with the new coach. So hopefully there's uh, a bit of like um, prospects for for the Sharks to get a combination together, and even for the Bulls to an extent. Because yes, I agree with you, Jared, that the backline didn't really matter, but I think there is still some yeah loose jigsaw puzzles that are not really fitting together. So I think cohesion is probably the word for the week for for those sorts. No, exactly that. Um, I, I think you spot on there, Tala. Yeah, I think in in essence, just finally, um, Jared, not the best weekend for the South African teams, but I think when you look at the results and every and um, the details of the matches, there's still some things to to build on, and not. I don't think we need to put the red alert lights in for the URC teams. No, I don't think so. I think uh, it was a poor weekend for for the Bulls. Um, I think the other. The results could have uh, gone either way in terms of the Stormers and Lions. And uh, yeah, a very good 
uh, strong performance from the Sharks. So I, I think uh, there's a lot of positives to take out of it and we should not be hitting any panic buttons at, at all. Um, the Bulls are renowned for traveling poorly in this competition and if they can turn things around on, when they come back home, it's, it's a long season and uh, yeah, nothing to get uh, too upset about just yet. I think that is the right approach. And then very quickly, Bulls are playing Benetton in Italy on, on Friday. You have the Lions playing Glasgow at home. Sharks against Ulster, big match there. And then the Stormers are away at Cardiff. So hopefully those matches can, can we can see some a big turnaround there. But that unfortunately will be the end of the of um, our podcast for this um, for today. Thank you so much for the Dirt Trackers listening. Please um, follow us on, on Twitter and on our social media pages. And please visit the bet.co.za um, website for any of the bets for, for the weekend. You can definitely bet on the Saturday teams bouncing back um, from the weekend's games. And yeah, Jared, thank you so much for, for joining for the podcast. And thank you to all the Dirt Trackers for listening. Share this podcast and we will talk to you later this week.